This is Cliff Mass, and welcome to my weather podcast. Each week, I talk about current weather, provide a forecast for the weekend and beyond, and give you more details about an interesting weather phenomenon. It's Friday, February 5th, and we have some interesting weather ahead of us, so let's get right into it. In fact, we have the coldest air of the whole winter will be over our region, and the big question is, will we get snow? Well, there's not going to be much snow in the lowlands today. In fact, it's partly cloudy out right now. Uh, There's some snow showers up in the mountains above 3,000 feet today. But here in the lowlands, temperatures should get up into the mid to upper 40s, partially cloudy, not much precipitation at all. So it's actually a pretty decent day. More snow in the mountains up in the passes. They'll they'll probably get another inch or so, especially above uh, 3,500 feet. Now, on Saturday, a weak disturbance will come through, uh, particularly after around 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. And so I expect uh, it may be dry in the morning, but precipitation will come in during the day. But we're in a northwesterly flow. And the interesting thing about that is that Seattle southward could actually be in the rain shadow of the Olympic, Olympics for a while. But later in the day, because of this northwesterly flow, I expect a Puget Sound convergence zone to form north of Seattle. So there could be some precipitation up there, uh, but you know, not that much in the south sound. The mountains will get snow showers and some steady snow. I, I expect several inches in the passes. So travel may be a little bit slippery for a while, but an all in all, not a severe event at all. Because northwesterly flow, we don't tend to get heavy precipitation in the lowlands. Highs in the mid-40s. Well, then things start getting more interesting. Very cold air is moving into the upper plains, into the Rockies, and it's going to start eking through gaps in the Rockies, getting into British Columbia, then eastern Washington. So we're going to start seeing temperatures cooling down on Sunday. And it's going to cool down progressively during the day. And I think there's still some chances of Puget Sound convergence zones going on during the day on Sunday. So I think there'll be mainly rain, but some of the higher elevations, especially mid to late Sunday, you could start seeing a mixture of snow coming in to the precipitation. And again, this will be mainly Seattle northward in in the convergence zone. There will be substantial snow in the mountains on Sunday, several more inches with this northwesterly flow rising up on, onto the mountains. So don't be shocked if there's some snow, especially later on Sunday at higher elevations in the convergence zone north of Seattle. Now that convergence zone snow could actually occur uh, Sunday night, Monday morning a little bit as well. I don't expect a lot of uh, accumulation at all, but we gotta watch it. It doesn't look like a big event, but don't be surprised if there's a few snow flurries in. Now, next week is going to be really interesting. Uh, Really cold air, or the coldest air we've seen this season so far will be moving in. It'll be moving in Monday and Tuesday. Um, If there's any precipitation, and I don't see much, there could be a few snow showers, but it's going to turn even colder Wednesday and Thursday, and the wind's going to switch to offshore. There'll be cold, high pressure inland, and we'll have this easterly flow that's sinking on the mountains. So I expect when we get to Wednesday and Thursday, uh, we'll have this downslope flow that'll dry things out. So if we get the precipitation, 
quite cold air. And the temperatures on Wednesday and Thursday may not get out of the 30s here in western Washington. So this will be the coldest air we've seen. And with this clear skies and easterly flow, you can expect to see temperatures dropping into the 20s. So if you have vulnerable plants or if you have some animals that are outside or or anything you're worried about in terms of temperature, freezing hoses, you might want to get them taken care of particularly by Wednesday and Thursday where it'll get cold. Uh, At this point, I don't see any big snowstorm, but there's always a danger when we have cold air over us. We have to get out of it somehow, and normally that means precipitation. So getting out of the cold often brings snow. So we'll watch this very carefully. It's a La Nina year. We haven't gotten our share of snow yet here in the lowlands. And this is air that will be cold enough to snow. We're just missing the precipitation. I will be blogging about this quite a bit. By the way, uh, if anybody would like to uh, leave some comments or or some evaluation of the podcast on any of the uh, the sites that you can leave comments on, please do so. I'm always looking for input on on the podcast, whether you like it or not, and, and ways I can improve it. Well, thanks for listening, and in my extra session today, after the intermission, I'm going to talk about a question that people ask all the time, and that is, is there a data void for weather prediction over the Pacific Ocean? I'll directly answer that question right after the intermission. Thanks for listening. Weather doesn't end with the forecast. Now let's talk about the special weather topic of the week. Is there a weather data void over the Pacific Ocean? Does this affect weather prediction? I get asked this question all the time. We are certainly downstream of the vast Pacific Ocean, and there must be less weather observations out there, right? How can we forecast the weather here in Seattle? when we have this large ocean with no weather data upstream of us. Well, in this podcast, I'm going to tell you a surprising truth, that the supposed Pacific Ocean weather data void doesn't really exist. There is weather data out there, and that makes it possible for us to forecast the weather here skillfully. Now, first, let me do a little side discussion about weather forecasting. Weather prediction is based on running numerical simulations, computer models out in time. Now, to run these simulations, these forecasts, we need to know what is happening right now, three-dimensionally over the atmosphere. This is called the initialization. And to create an initialization, We need observations in three dimensions. You can't forecast the atmosphere unless you know not only what's happening to the surface, but what's happening aloft. To put it another way, we need accurate three-dimensional descriptions of the atmosphere right now if we're going to forecast the weather into the future. Sparse observations, and particularly sparse observations upstream of us, would be the end of good weather forecasts. Now, I just want to make clear, the winds here in the mid-latitudes, the effect of the northwest are generally from 
the west moving to the east. Storms tend to move from the west to the east. So we really need to know what's happening over the Pacific if we're going to forecast here in Seattle or anywhere in the northwest. So what's the status? Well, let's go into a time machine. Let's go back 50 years ago. Well, then, if you let's say the 1950s or early 1960s, we had a real problem. There were hardly any weather observations out in this gigantic Pacific Ocean. Now, there were a few ship reports, some commercial ships would radio back weather observations, and we even had a few permanent weather ships, one is called Ship Papa out in the Gulf of Alaska, that would radio back weather observations. Now, that that was fairly unpleasant duty to be middle of the Gulf of Alaska taking weather observations. And of course, there were some island observations, Hawaii and, and a few other places would give us observations, but that was very sparse. So we really didn't have much weather data upstream. And that had terrible effects on weather prediction. Our weather forecast models back then, which were very primitive, didn't have data over the Pacific to start with. And so we had big storms like the classic Columbus Day storm in 62 that came in without any prediction at all. But everything changed in the 60s and 70s with the advent of weather satellites. Today, there's a constellation of various types of weather satellites that are observing this atmosphere constantly. Some stay right above us. These are called geostationary satellites. And others swing around the Earth at low levels. These are polar orbiting satellites. We have dozens of these satellites now that give us a continuous view of the atmosphere. Well, you've seen weather satellite images showing us where the clouds are. But we have much, much more than that. By looking down at various wavelengths in the electromagnetic spectrum, we are actually able to determine how temperature and humidity vary with height anywhere in the planet. And I mean anywhere. We can track clouds and moisture in homogeneities over time. And by tracking them over time, we can secure winds at various levels over the whole planet, and we get hundreds of thousands of these winds each day. Some satellites can bounce microwave radiation off the ocean surface and measure the speed and direction of tiny capillary waves that form when wind blows over water. And this tells us wind speed and direction near the surface. We can also measure the water content of clouds from space and some weather satellites even have active weather radars that can tell us where it's raining and how intense, even in the middle of the ocean. And I'm just warming up. We have a lot more capability than that. Today, satellites provide us with a fully three-dimensional view of the atmosphere over the entire planet in real time. But let's not stop there. The weather satellites are critical, but we have so much more. Many long-distance aircraft, the planes you take to Hawaii or, or to China or Japan, many of them are taking weather observations while they are in flight, producing immense amounts of weather data, especially at cruise altitude and also as the planes come in and out of airports. And it, we have even more organizations such as NOAA, the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, have weather buoys 
Some are fixed in location, others drift around the oceans, providing more weather information to the surface. So the truth is that there is no weather void over the Pacific, no weather data void over the Pacific Ocean, or for that matter, any place on Earth. And because we have so much data everywhere in three dimensions, because of that, this is one of the major reasons why weather prediction has gotten so much better over the last 30 to 40 years. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. And if anybody ever tells you that weather prediction in Seattle or anywhere in the Northwest is no good because of the data void over the Pacific, you know better. Finally, I wanted to mention that for any of my podcast Patreon supporters, I'm going to have a special question and answer session tomorrow, Saturday, February 6th at 10 a.m. And so if you're one of the Patreon supporters, you're going to get an email today giving you the details. Well, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Feel free to send me your questions or any topics you would like me to cover. This podcast will be available every Friday morning on my blog and major podcast platforms. If you would like to support this podcast, feel free to use the Patreon link on my blog. See you next time.